I've got a question for all of you. How many of you have ever changed your mind about something before? Most of us, yeah. Sometimes we change our mind about things in big, dramatic ways. Sometimes we change our minds about foods that we like, people that we like, hobbies that we like, politicians that we like, music that we like. It goes on and on. For example, if I can talk to the parents out there for just a minute, parents, do you recall being five years old? And do you remember what your attitude was then toward taking a nap? And it's fair to assume that your attitude toward napping is different now than it was when you were five years old. Or what about those of you who drink coffee? Can you remember like the first time that you drank coffee? The first time that you drank like straight black coffee? I remember the first time I ever drank coffee. I was 17. It was gross and it was bitter and I did not like it at all, but it did make me look more grown up in front of my friends. Maybe you guys had a similar experience drinking coffee for the first time and then you decided you never want to drink coffee again. But for the rest of us, you drank the coffee, maybe you didn't like it that much, but now some days it's like the only thing that you like about being alive. You change your minds, you change your attitudes, you change your behaviors. This is normal, by the way. This is what it means to be human. This happens all of the time for everyone, everywhere. But when Jesus gets involved, that's when I believe the changes can be really, truly profound. See, Jesus doesn't show up to like make you suddenly like broccoli. Jesus shows up to transform hate into love, war into peace, division into unity. Jesus shows up to turn your mourning into dancing, your sorrows into joy. And the story of the Bible tells us that over and over again. One of the favorite things that your Bible likes to do is to tell you about something that does not sound very good and then tell you that it is actually good. You're probably familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard the Beatitudes before. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, I don't know about you, but as much as I think I do want to be blessed, I don't think I actually want to experience many of those things that Jesus just says are blessed. They don't sound good, at least not most of them. Blessed are you when people revile you when you are persecuted when you mourn like generally i'm a hard no thanks on all of that stuff there's a quote and it's got some big words in it and i'm not really going to unpack it much so you can google it a little later if you want to dive in a little more but it's a john steinbeck quote from the book cannery row and it says it has always seemed strange to me the things that we admire in men, kindness and generosity, openness, honesty, understanding and feeling are the concomitants of failure in our system. And those traits that we detest, sharpness, greed, acquisitiveness, meanness, egotism and self-interest are the traits of success. And while men admire the quality of the first, they love the produce of the second. Now, I know you woke up this morning and you were thinking like, we're going to worship outside. 
and Aaron speaking, and we had a crazy mad scientist, and you were not expecting deep cuts from 12th grade AP literature. But this quote for me illustrates the problem that we have when we read the Beatitudes, because while we earnestly admire those who exemplify the virtues extolled by Jesus, we desperately seem to want the things afforded by behaviors that do not. Sometimes the part of you that wants what God wants is at war with the part of you that wants what you want. So how in the world do we change our attitudes and desires such that the things we know are right also become the things we want the most even when they're distasteful. We need a miracle berry. You need a miracle berry. I need a miracle berry. I need a miracle berry to get in there and change my mind and change my perspective and change my attitude and change the way I think about what is happening to me and around me. And I know you think you know what I'm going to say next. You think I'm going to say that Jesus is the miracle berry that's going to bring about this change, but that's not what I'm going to say. For the first time in the history of church right now, the answer to this question is not Jesus, or at least the entire answer to this question is not just Jesus. Because it's real easy, I think, for us to invoke the name of Jesus, to say that Jesus needs to show up and change me from the inside out, and yes, that's what Jesus is going to do. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit will show up and soften even the most stubborn heart. I know that God can and will do that. But if you and I decide that the work of changing our hearts belongs to a miracle that only God can do, what you're actually going to end up doing is letting yourself off the hook for the hard work that you're supposed to be doing too. Changing the posture and attitude of your heart is not only work that Jesus does. It's work that you do too. Do you hear that, church? I believe that we, you and I, each of us, bears responsibility for how we choose to set the postures and attitudes of our hearts. I believe the most effective way to experience a real change in the attitudes and postures of our hearts is to ask God to do work in us that we are also willing to do on ourselves. And there's always pushback to this. There's always pushback because it's tempting to think that we are not in control of our emotions or our feelings or our desires. You can probably tell, remember someone telling you you just needed to cheer up as if it was a conscious choice, as if you could just decide to be happy. And, and it's not as simple as that. But here's the truth about your emotions. If you don't control your emotions, your emotions will control you. And you don't want that either. So I'm going to walk you through how I think we do it. How do you decide to change your attitudes, to change your emotions, to change your perspectives, to change the posture of your heart? Step one, you already know. You pray to God. You ask Jesus to work on you and in you and through you. You are the clay. He is the potter. And you ask him to remake you and remold you and transform you. You ask God to do the work that only God can do. And then step two, you do the work that is your work to do. And lucky for you, I'm going to tell you the easiest way I know to do it. 
And all you've got to do is fake it. Seriously, that's the whole answer. Fake it. You've heard that saying before. Fake it till you make it. That is legitimate advice. It is sound psychological advice. It's even biblical advice. When your attitude towards something isn't where it should be on the inside, act and react on the outside as you would if your attitude was correct because where your actions lead, your attitudes will generally follow. In other words, yes, absolutely go to God in prayer and ask Him to change you from the inside out, but then examine your actions and behaviors and let your decisions change you from the outside in. My favorite Bible verse, many of you have heard this one from me before, comes from Romans chapter 5. Paul writes this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. For me, this is a miracle berry verse. This is the ultimate lemons into lemonade Bible verse. How in the world do we take something as bad as suffering and turn it into something that we're going to rejoice about? For 12 years, I shared this verse with students on bike trips all across the Midwest. We'd say, you know, when you're climbing that giant hill and your legs are screaming, you've got to rejoice in that. When it's 100 degrees, you should rejoice in that too. When it's 45 degrees and raining, rejoice. Lean on God, ask Him to change you, and then do the hard work to change yourself from the outside in. Choose to speak positively. Surround yourself with people who will do the same. Make yourself laugh when there's no reason for it. Knowing Jesus will change you. Sometimes it will change the way you feel on the inside. Sometimes it will change the way you behave on the outside, and both of those things will inform the other. I read an interview once with a professional cyclist in a magazine, and the, interview, the interviewer asked him what his perfect training day was like. And the cyclist started by saying that it was a day that was cold and rainy and windy. That was his perfect day to go train. And the reporter questioned him. The reporter said, cold and rainy and windy is your perfect day? The man grunted back, yeah. Or when it's just oppressively hot and miserable. Why is that, the reporter wondered. See, when the weather is perfect, the man responded, when it's 70 and sunny with a little breeze, I will train the whole day, and all of my rivals will also train the whole day, and I cannot gain any ground on them on a day like that. We're all just even because we're all doing the same work. But when conditions are bad, my rivals might skip a session or cut it short. They might sleep in and do a little less work. On those days, I train even harder because I know that my rivals will not. It is on those days that I can gain on them. When I wake up in the morning and see that the weather looks like that, I get very excited for those days. He turned lemons into lemonade. He learned to rejoice in what, believe me, is, is pretty awful suffering. And I think we can learn something from that as we seek to live in faith every day. Number one, that we choose our own attitudes far more than we give ourselves credit for. 
Number two, that joy is a product of the posture of our hearts more than an outcome of our circumstances. And number three, that we can choose to be stuck with lemons or we can call on that miracle berry that is God in heaven and is the Jesus in our hearts. I don't know what difficulties you're facing at work or at home or in your bank account. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that those problems are all actually good things. What I will tell you is that you can choose how you view your life and all of its difficulties. If you want to have a more generous heart and you're just not there yet, start by being more generous. If you want to have a loving, a more loving heart and you're just not there yet, start by being more loving. If you want to experience forgiveness in your heart and you're just not there yet, act on the outside like you've forgiven someone. Your heart will follow. I hope this week you'll be changed from the inside out and the outside in. I hope you will choose to see the good and be the good. And like our brave volunteers learned a little earlier, I hope you'll always remember that the Bible calls us to manage our attitudes and change our perspectives. Jesus changes us. He changes the way we see things, the way we experience things, and the way we react to things. My prayer today is that we would live like changed people. Amen.